bold and raw perspectives of local politics. Important information which impacts our community, nation, and world. Exposing truth, transparency, and getting to the heart of relevant issues that you just won't see in the clickbait media. And always keeping it real. It's the Michelle Tanner Podcast. But I won't back down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a really exciting episode today of the Michelle Tanner Podcast. I have really been looking forward to this episode for quite a while. So let me give you kind of the backstory of how this episode came to be. I have sitting with me here, Jamie Mitchell. Jamie was formerly James Mitchell, and we'll get into some of that and how basically Jamie's journey getting here. Um, But there was recent state legislation passed. um, It was sponsored by Representative Berkland. It's been, I think, labeled in the media as the, quote, bathroom bill. Um, But actually, it's called the Sex-Based Designations for Privacy, Anti-Bullying, and Women's Opportunities Bill, which is HB 257, which did recently pass um, and was signed in by the governor. Um, And so there was a St. George News article out. um, And it was interesting because this article had two different opinions. It highlighted Jamie Mitchell here, um, who comes from the trans community. And I noticed Jamie was opposed to the legislation. And then there was another view represented. Um, And yeah, we'll get into actually what your true feelings are. And then there was another view represented um, in the article who was in favor of it. And so I thought, I've got to get Jamie on here. I want to hear your perspective on this. I think it's so important here in America. I think one of the big things that we're missing in today's day and age is being able to just have civil discourse and realizing that sometimes it's okay to disagree on things. What can we come together on and find common ground on and being willing to see different perspectives. So thank you, Jamie, for agreeing to come on. Well, thank you for having me. I think we were talking earlier about how this happened. I was actually in the middle of messaging you to say, we should sit down and talk sometime. And I didn't know what that would look like, maybe lunch or maybe a a public discourse. And in the middle of me writing, you wrote to me and said, come on my podcast. So we said, what a perfect forum. What a great chance to get to know each other and and your listeners can benefit. Yeah, it was so meant to be. Yeah, literally, Mm -hmm. when I sent you that message, I was blown away when you're like, I was just messaging you. The same thing. I really was. Honestly, I truly was. Oh, that's awesome. Well, so tell me, I mean, we don't have to like talk the whole time about your journey, but I really think myself and the listeners would benefit from learning maybe a little bit about your childhood. And then, you know, you were James at one point. Um, You own a tax company here, which is amazing, which thank you, by the way, for taking time. At a tax season, because I know that's a crazy time of year when you own a tax company. Um, and then your journey, and I don't know how long it's been since you've gone from James to Jamie, so I'd love to learn how that all came to be. Well, you, you'll probably relate to some of this. Like, I'm one that I—and I think this is the case for a lot of trans people. I knew from some of my earliest memories, like at six years old, I would do dress-ups with my sister. And at that age, it was considered cute and fun. But there got to be an age, 9, 10, where it wasn't cute anymore, and my parents were kind of like, stop it. And so that was a a wake-up call for me. So they said, you've got to do something. So they sent me to a therapist. That was a little um, 
difficult. But I found solace, and you'll relate to this, because you're a marathon runner, right? Yes. And if I remember, you did your first marathon in your teens? I did, yeah, 12. What? Yeah. You're kidding. I ran, I ran my first one when I was 12, and I did actually 10 in a row because I wanted to be the youngest person in the 10-year club. Were you? So I did. I accomplished that, and then I've kind of, my running career has really gone south. And I was never really fast, but it was just cool to be able to do. Well, well mine too. So that's where I found a lot of a lot of solace. I found track in, in high school, and I continued running. I ended up... Uh, when I when I went to therapy as a kid, I was told if you just be faithful in the church, God will do His magic, and and that didn't work at all. But I was I was extremely faithful, and I served a mission in the Philippines. So you grew well, up member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Very devout. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you still and a member? I still am, and okay. I still I still attend. Awesome. Not not a lot of people understand that, but it works for me. So. I uh, so I found running, and I, when I moved to Saint, I went to the University of Utah after my mission. Came here, and I saw somebody run the Saint George Marathon for the first time. I went to the finish line, and it was like a spiritual experience. I found myself just like tearing up, going, "I have to do that." And I so can I, totally relate to that. That was yeah. what, why I started running when I was twelve. Is I went to the finish line. My parents took me to the finish line. I think my stepdad had run that year, and seeing those people finish, like it is just, it, it is. It's spiritual. It's inspiring. It, it is not to be sacrilegious, but it is so. Yeah. And so I signed up and I started training like that next week and ran the whole year and finally did my first one. And I remember coming across the finish line and these people were clapping and cheering and I was looking around going, who are they cheering for? And then there was this realization like, oh my goodness, they're cheering for me. And I think that we don't get enough of that in life. There should be accomplishments that we all applaud. You know, the fact that you're that you're in the arena being serving the city, I think we need to applaud that because you're, you're leaving your kids, uh, you know, one night a week and being out there, putting yourself out there. And as Teddy Roosevelt put it, the credit goes to the man in the arena. And he will experience, I'm, some, I'm paraphrasing, but if he, if he succeeds, he will experience the, uh, the beauty of, of uh, victory. And if not, he will fail while daring greatly. And I honor you I for, for daring oh, greatly. Wow. For real. Thank I really, you. truly do. So many things that, that you do that are that are so noteworthy, oh, so needed. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you being willing to to share your opinion. You know, we were talking, hopefully it's okay I say this, but before we started, how you might catch some flack for even being on here. And and that, that's probably true. So mm-hmm. I actually applaud your bravery of being willing to share your perspective and insights and in all different forums because We all really can learn from each other. I truly believe that. Um, I wanted to touch on, you mentioned some about your childhood of, you know, you kind of felt from an early age that that things were different. You liked more maybe feminine things. How did you know? Because I guess I look back some to my own childhood of, I grew up with six older brothers. And I... I can't tell you how many times I told my mom, I want to be a boy. I want to be a boy. I don't want to be a girl. And even to this day, I find myself relating much more to men. Now, I don't feel like I'm a man. I'm I'm happy as a woman. Um, But I look back at my childhood and I I think I wonder if in today's day and age where 
especially in the schools and things where it's become much more talked about. I wonder if I would have had anyone encouraging me like, well, maybe you are a boy, you know, maybe you should start some hormones or so I guess I look back and I wonder, how did you know, am I a man who happens to like more feminine things, which which happens? There's those stereotypes out Mm -hmm. there, right, that we Mm -hmm. think we can't if you're a certain gender. How did you know, no, like I'm a woman, I feel like a woman versus a man who happens to like more feminine things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I knew because I because through multiple rounds of therapy and through talking about it, it, it became very clear. And I had an experience with my sister recently. Unfortunately, her little children, my nieces and nephews, have had to have that discussion about gender and and sexuality way before they probably would like ideally would have. Because they're like, well, Jamie's married to a girl. And if Jamie's a girl, then how does that work out? And so my, my sweet sister just said, well, to my niece, would you like it if we dressed you like a boy? She says, no. And she just says, well, Jamie's the same way. Jamie doesn't want to dress like a boy either. And she kind of got it. So it, and, and there's not, I, I think if you had been exposed to, if a therapist said to you, Michelle, you have to be a boy, you would have resisted pretty hard. And and I did as well. I mean, despite every effort we talked about, I did a mission. I did do the temple marriage. I tried all that stuff. It still it still was always there. And so I, I talked about running. This the therapy, the solace mm-hmm. was through running. And I'm telling you, I went crazy. You did ten. I did twenty. That's amazing. And, and not just saying congratulations. George. Um, by the way, that's thank a you. huge accomplishment. I was running my guts out because if if I couldn't deal with the dysphoria, if I was having a day where I was like, I'm so I'm, this is it, like suicidal. Even mm-hmm. I could go run twenty miles until the physical pain outweighed the emotional pain. And, and then I could function and all would be okay. What I didn't expect is that it destroyed my body. And mm-hmm. uh, at age 45, I dislocated my hip. And I ended up having to have a uh, total hip replacement. Ended my running oh, career. yeah, that's, that's and be- difficult. And began my transition. Because without that as my drug, I had, I had nowhere else to turn. So I made an appointment with my doctor and started hormones. And, and I'll tell you. And there, how long ago was that? Um, that was six years ago. Okay. There, there is a fair bit of gatekeeping. There's a lot that you have to jump through in order to get to that point. It's not just mm-hmm. like, like I know one of the criticisms in, in Great Britain is that you can self-declare. And that, that's not the case here, nor do I think it should be. Mm-hmm. As I was going through the gatekeeping process, you have to have two therapist letters. Um, you have to appear before a judge. There's a lot, there's a lot to it. And as I was going through it, I, I, hate it. I was, I was like, let's, this is so stupid. I can't believe that the law makes me do this. But now I'm on the other side of it. I can see the wisdom in it. And yeah. so had you been taught as a youth, hey, this is your process, I feel like that would have been filtered out very, very quickly by the gatekeeping process. Well, and that's what I worry about with the youth, because honestly, adults, I, I'm very pro-freedom. You probably know that about me. I want adults to be able to have their agency to live however they want to live, however they want to express themselves, so long as they're not obviously infringing on someone else's right or or harming a minor. Um, But I think about the youth today, and this is actually something I really wanted to get your perspective on, is the large increase we've seen of children um, believing that they're born in the wrong body, even here in St. George, one of our intermediate schools, has 20 children 
who believe they are born in the wrong body. Mm -hmm. 20. There was a 193% increase um, since 2018 in the state of Utah alone in minors who who believe they need to transition. And so, you know, talking about your journey as an adult going through that transition um, and knowing that minors, there's been other studies that have shown 80% of those children who think they're the opposite gender end up changing their mind, right, by the mm-hmm. time they reach adulthood. So what's your position on children transitioning, whether it be hormone blockers, whether it be surgeries? I mean, we're talking about youth who can't vote yet. They can't go get a tattoo. They can't stay out past curfew. There's a legalized curfew. But yet in a lot of states, they can make this life altering decision. What's your position on that? I, as I mentioned, I, I, being on the other side of it, I'm, I'm not opposed to some gatekeeping. I think it's good. And I definitely don't think children should be getting altering surgery, life altering surgeries before the age of 18. I don't have a problem with puberty blockers. I feel like that mostly safe. You're the medical expert, and and it's hard for me to speak to that on my youth. Obviously, I would have very much liked to have had that that advantage as a a youth and not had to go through a a male puberty. But I also think that uh, it's it's difficult for a kid because a kid can change their mind. Kids, teenagers are, are by definition, clinically insane. Right. <laughs> Amen. If you've had teen, yeah, we, I'm telling you, buckle your seatbelt, Michelle, because when your kids are teenagers. Oh, I know. I'm not looking woo-wee. forward to that. It's even worse when they're like the, the young adults, the 20-somethings. They they get, it, it's hard. Life life gets really tough for them. And my and my heart goes to them. And, and I think we should aid them and assist them and help them and whatever therapy. And if they want to present or you know, present as the opposite gender or go to the bathroom in, in the gender that fits the, their their psyche, I, not too much harm in that. But I think as far as, and, and if we want to stop testosterone, testosterone particularly is extremely powerful, but so is estrogen. And oh, yeah. having had both, there there's, there's a lot of power there. So if we need to push pause on that until a, a child is 18, I, I think that's probably okay. Yeah. Not just okay. I think that's a, it's a necessity. Yeah. I can appreciate that perspective coming from you. My my main concern when it comes to the hormone blockers is, A, there, there are a lot of unknowns when it comes to giving children those. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things we do know, such as it causing you know osteoporosis early on, um, can hinder chances of reproduction later on. So there are still some concerns for me from even the hormone aspect of it as what long-term deficits are we potentially creating, especially in someone who could 80% of the time change their mind later on. Um, And there are some countries actually who have banned that now altogether, hormone blockers and youth for for those concerns. I do want to get your perspective as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when it comes to gender ideology and essentially the belief of, you know, God's plan and, you know, gender being eternal and procreation, right? And so much of of that doctrine is rooted in the family, right? The eternal family. And so I wanted to get your take on, as we see more of a trend overall, even heterosexual couples choosing to not have children or have less children. And then, of course, you know, homosexual couples cannot procreate. 
um, or um, people transitioning and removing their ability, their reproductive organs and ability to procreate. Um. So <laughs> what what's your take on how does that... Do you see that as an incongruence with God's plan? How does that fit into God's plan for you? Well, I'm I'm thankful that I was able to become a parent for for this reason. I love my children, but also I am grateful that that sort of taught me the way that God loves us. And there's a lot of soothsaying that goes on in the church that I don't agree with. I've sat through many a Sunday school lesson where people will say things like, well, after this life in the millennium, you're going to go here and you're going to be driving cars or you're going to be flying or you're going to be going to the temple every day. There's a lot of there's a lot of speculation about what this afterlife. Right. And, and you know what? We don't know. Nobody knows any of it. Yep. And whenever that soothsaying kicks into any meeting I'm in, I'm usually very quick to jump in and say, hold up. You don't know any of that. What you do know, God is love, and we're, in, we're instructed to love each other. And, and the proclamation, not scripture. I know there's been a lot of talk about it at the higher-ups, but it's not. And, and, and when I read it, I was like, yeah, gender is eternal. I was always female. And the idea of being a man in the afterlife was just eh, terrible to me. <laughs> it was never appealing. And, and that, that design of what was laid out for me was not, not something I ever aspired to or wanted. And if you'd asked me as a youth— hey, there's a risk of osteoporosis or even something way worse than that in exchange for not having to have testosterone poisoning for the first half of your life, I would have signed up in a minute uh, despite any risks at all. So your feeling is that that you were female in the previous life, that that is your eternal gender. Well, we're still saying now, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to call that one. But, but yeah, see, it's so easy to do. We do. We fall into that. We're like, well, wait a minute, doctrine. It's so, you've been there. You've been a member of the church as well, right. I think. And yeah. it's, uh, oh man, everyone has their opinion. And I do believe everyone should, everyone should be able to worship the dictates of their conscience. Uh, a really cool quote. We're not our the, the LDS Church is not the only ones dealing with this. Where it was recently last week, an incident where a Catholic bishop blessed a gay union. They didn't perform the marriage; that's mm -hmm. not allowed. But they blessed it. However, and I'm not Catholic. I apologize if I'm totally butchering this. Let me read to you what what the Pope said in response. He said, "We are all sinners." Why then should we write a list of sinners who can enter the church and a list of sinners who cannot? This is not the gospel. So do you think, is it your perspective as far as the temple goes and temple marriages, do you think that will evolve in the church to where gay couples are, are married in the temple? Probably not in our lifetime, at least not in mine, but I do think eventually. Have you ever heard of the ordinance of baptism for the healing of the sick? Probably Baptism, not, no. because no one alive on the earth has ever experienced it. But prior to up until 1903, the church performed that ordinance in the Salt Lake Temple. If you had the flu, you could go get dunked in the font, and and that would encourage some healing of some sort. Now, as a medical professional, probably putting sick people in water that other sick people have been in may not be so good. So they discontinued it. The church changes. I don't think that makes it less plausible or less true, if you will. I think the fact that it changes, the fact that they adapt is, is a real feather in, in the church's cap that they, they need to be able to do that. Yeah. And I applaud you for being an active member. Has that been difficult with going through your transition? How have you been yeah. perceived? How has that been for you? When I first, so I was in a bishopric before, again, I tried to be the most faithful member mm -hmm. and 
when I knew I couldn't do that anymore, I at the time, the church handbook of instructions, you have book one and book two. Book one is only for church leaders. Book two is for the members at large. And it gives the, it, it kind of lays out the, not necessarily the doctrine, but the protocols. And, and it kind of sets the groundwork for the culture of the church. And at the time I started hormones, the handbook called for immediate excommunication with no possibility of rebaptism. And so I knew that's what I was signing up for. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, at the time, I had an amazing bishop who said, we love you. That's not going to happen. And a year later, in 2019, they actually amended the handbook of instructions and said, trans members are allowed to participate in everything but the temple. And I said, all right, that's that works. That so so you enjoy church blessings on the to the level that you're comfortable. And I think we all do that to some Mm -hmm. extent. There are some things that we all struggle with, be it maybe a word of wisdom, I see a chastity issue. But again, I come back to the Pope's comment. We're all sinners. Let's not make a list. And you are remarried now. I did. So you were mm-hmm. married, had four children, mm-hmm. divorced, mm-hmm. and then are remarried to a woman. I am. Mm-hmm. We, we, were, uh, we were high school friends, weirdly. And so now we're, now we're roommates. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an interesting question. So do you consider yourself a lesbian? I, I sometimes say I'm not a lesbian, but I think maybe my wife is. <laughs> <laughs> does she consider she, herself a lesbian? She does not. She absolutely does not. So. And have you fully transitioned? Uh, d- fully. Well, there there's a there's a whole menu of services that are available, right. and I, I haven't had them all, but I've had most. Okay. I'll say that. There's there's some there's some facelift in my future. So if, if Bella too <laughs> wants to be, you do not need that. Oh my gosh! If it wants to be part of that, I would I'd be honored. So. Oh, you're funny. I'll come see you, Michelle. Yes, come see me. We'll take care of you, even though you don't need it. You're the best. So, so when it comes to this legislation, which you know originally was one of the reasons I reached out to you, um, essentially, so HB two fifty seven, um, essentially what it did is. It says that in spaces that there's a reasonable expectation of privacy, such as bathrooms, locker rooms, changing rooms, um, in taxpayer-funded public facilities, that you should use the space that corresponds with your biological sex at birth. Um, so I wanted to get your take on that. Uh, are you totally opposed to it? Are there parts of the legislation that you do favor? Tell me your thoughts on that. If, if the first part of the bill, the first third of the bill that Ms. Berkland wrote, says that all new public buildings funded by the state need to have gender-neutral bathrooms, if that was the extent of the bill, full stop, everybody on both sides would be all for it. The problem is they always have to add this little tiny dig to say, oh, let's stick it to the trans community. And I know it's about protecting women's spaces, and I know it's important that we listen to women. I've, I've had enough work that I'm I, the bill doesn't pertain to me. So, right. again, maybe yeah, I'm not. Yeah, because your birth certificate has changed, and correct. you've had enough transition surgeries. surgeries. Right. The SNP. <laughs> right. So, I, so, I, so I'm kind of like, this isn't really my fight. But I do remember the times before that happened. Um, I remember the awkwardness of going to the bank and giving my old ID and going to the doctor and have them call my name and go, oh, yeah, oops. It's, it's difficult. And so my heart is with those that have not yet done enough to, to be worthy of the bathroom that they probably need to be in. For me, it happened one time I, I was still using the men's room for as long as I could. 
But at one point, I looked so female because of the hormones that I walked into the men's room and somebody came in and saw me and went, oh, excuse me, I'm in the wrong place. And they walked out. Mm. And I was at that point, I said, no, you're not in the wrong place. I am. Mm. And that's when I knew and I haven't been in a men's room since. Yeah. Funny, funny thing, uh, Chris, who wrote the St. George News article, we were talking about that. And he, I said, it is such a different experience in the women's room. In women's bathrooms, there's stalls. Everyone's got their privacy. Nobody's seeing each other's parts. In the men's room, it's just a lineup. I don't know if you remember the old Dixie Center, or not the Dixie, the Sun Bowl. Back in the day, the Sun Bowl, I, I did an ice rink in the Sun Bowl back in 2010. Some of you, your listeners might remember that. That was me. I was the the force behind the Dixie Igloo. <laughs> it, was, it was so crazy, so fun. But we... In, in the Sun Bowl, in the men's room, they had a trough, and and yeah. the guys would just line up and pee in the trough, and and I, I don't know how they didn't hit, hit each other. Like <laughs> they're in there having sword oh, fights. Really? Yeah. No sword for no sword fights allowed. Probably ought to have a sign. It's so different. And and somebody asked Chris's wife asked him like what what do men talk about in the bathroom? And he's like, what do you mean? Men don't talk in the bathroom. I'm here to, th- women do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> women are like, oh, that's a cute skirt. Oh, I love your hair. Here, let me fix your, let me fix your earrings. Or, you know, there's a lot of conversations that go on in the women's room that don't happen in the men's. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of what spurred some of this legislation is there were instances of men, you know, full genitalia, intact male genitals exposed in women's locker rooms, you know, and Mm -hmm. eight-year-old girls were going in there Mm -hmm. and exposed to a male penis. But yet that male was saying, no, I'm a woman. And so where do we draw the line of protecting someone's feelings who, who might have men, male genitalia, and they are a man biologically, but they believe they're a woman and want to change in the woman's locker room versus the feelings of women and little girls who want to have that freedom, as you mentioned, in their spaces of freely mm-hmm. talking and, and playing and, you know, changing if they need to and not feeling like they're changing in front of the opposite sex or being exposed to male genitalia. That's, a, that's an excellent question and, and a perfect segue to what I was hoping we could talk about. I feel like, and I've run this past, I have, some of my very best friends are immigrants, when an immigrant wants to come to America, and I promise this will make sense in a minute, when an immigrant wants to come to our country, there's a procedure, a proper way, there's some gatekeeping, except notwithstanding what's going on <laughs> a, in the border right now. Not our border right now. Oh, yeah. So when somebody comes in the proper way, right. we, we have a process, we have a procedure, and we welcome them. They are Americans, and they can come in. If, if, a, if an immigrant comes in and starts behaving badly, commits a felony or does something wrong— Guess what? They get thrown out. They mm-hmm. get they get booted, and and an immigrant. We give them every right, every procedure, you know, every every blessing that an American has, with a few exceptions. No matter how much that immigrant wants to run for president, Arnold Schwarzenegger can't be president of the United States. And as much as a trans woman wants to have a baby, I'm sorry, that just can't happen. If if someone comes in late in life and hasn't paid into Social Security, they're not going to get Social Security benefits. We love them. They're still American. But we're not going to they're not going to have the same all of the same blessings. I feel like an immigrant to womanhood. I've been welcomed. I've been blessed. And I've and for the most. Yeah, I would say 100 percent been been welcomed. But I also recognize the privilege of being a woman. And I recognize the honor 
that I have in being able to use the restroom that corresponds with my gender identity. And so I am going to be on my best behavior. I'm going to do my best to not. Sometimes immigrants bring an, an accent that gives them away. I'm going to try not to have an accent <laughs> in the women's bathroom. There might be some, some traditions or things that might seem a little bit different to us. Uh, I know my, my wife often says, like, wow, you really overdo the makeup. I'm like, yeah, because I have a difficult—my starting point is different than your starting point. So I have to bring in some of those different traditions. Yeah. But, but I still feel welcome. I still feel, I still feel like part of, part of society. Yeah, that's and, an interesting analogy. I, I like, like that analogy. Do you do you feel like the word transphobe or, you know, you're just a bigot? Do you feel like those terms get overused? I mean, even with this particular legislation, the way I look at it is on the roadway, for instance, if we have legislation that, you know, we notice that there are vulnerable cyclists on the road that need some designated space, you know, for safety, um, you know, to ride down the roadway on their bicycles and you have motorized vehicles. And if there is legislation that says motorized vehicles need to stay in their lane and not drive into the bicycle lane, even if they're, say, a VW bug who's like, nope, I I should be a bicycle. Right. And I need to ride in that bicycle lane. And it could even be argued yeah, you know, there's not very many bicycle accidents or motorized vehicles. They, they do pretty good not, you know, running them down. But in my mind, that legislation is really to protect cyclists and the vulnerable on the road. It's not in any way anti-motorized vehicles or, you know, we just want to really other the motorized vehicles so that they they feel discriminated against. So I guess I look at this legislation and, and you know, I've been through many scenarios where I'm labeled a bigot and which I don't identify as a bigot. I don't know why they have to throw those labels on me and discriminate against right. me like that. Um, but I feel like the more those terms are thrown out, like it lessens actually what it really means. Because are there true transphobes out there? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's wrong. Are there true bigots out there? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that's wrong. But I guess in your mind, where do we draw that line? And, and do you feel like it's overused? I, I do, because there are true bigots. I, I, a dozen years ago, I had, a, I had a black receptionist in my office. And I actually had some he, people right here in River City mm -hmm. came into my office and were like, hey, what's going on up here? And I said, well, what's going on is you're about to get fired as a client because she's amazing. And don't yeah. you dare, you know. Bring your don't bring your bigotry in here. It's not welcome. Right. And, and to your analogy of driving in the bike lane, well, there's already laws. There's already laws that cars stay in the car lane. Right. And and if if a car violates that, you know, that law, we we prosecute. Just like with the bathroom bill, there's already laws against voyeurism. There's already laws against assault. And to be able, to, so so if anyone trans or not, and trans community, incidentally. We're talking with the 20 kids in the in the middle school. Trans is generally about one percent, and that one percent of the population includes the non-binary folks, which are about 0.4, trans men, which are about 0.3, and trans women, which is about or 0.2 and 0.2. So 40, 20, and 20 comprises most of the most of the trans community. And then there's right. 
few others. But so it's really, really a small population, probably three thousand people in the United in, in all of Utah. Yeah. So we made a whole bill that governs the behavior of three thousand people, most of whom are probably on spironolactone, which completely eliminates the production of testosterone, which is what causes the aggression and the anger in the first place. But prior to this bill, a couple of the instances that spurred this legislation is, for instance, there was a man up in Salt Lake County, the rec center, you probably remember this scenario, put on a skirt and a gas mask and went into the women's changing room and basically was sightseeing, but they couldn't do anything about it because he was saying, oh no, I'm a woman, self-identified that day as a woman. And they didn't, they couldn't do anything about it. Um, Similar situation up in Northern Utah with an eight-year-old girl at a swimming aquatic center, you know, went in to the, the mother went with the smaller kids out to the swimming pool, said, meet us out there and walked into a fully naked man. And, you know, so there were those scenarios that at that point, that pre this legislation, nobody could do anything about. Do you feel like, it's helpful in those instances. I, I feel like you could do something about it because, again, voyeurism is illegal. You could prosecute both of those men under voyeurism. They're bad actors. They don't but belong. They're, but they're, they're not saying part. they're a woman. That both of them were saying, "No, I'm a woman." Great. Show us what you've done. Show us your day to day. Show us your selfies. Show us show us something. There's nothing. There's no if there's no evidence. And even if they were, even if they said, "Yeah, I've been seeing a therapist for five years. I'm in the middle of a transition." You're still going to have a problem because you've got a bad actor. Yeah, and and everyone knows somebody who knows somebody in another state or another county. That, but when when Miss Berkland was asked about it, they said she said, "Well, we don't have any incidents right now." Those two did come up. Another in, another scenario that was brought up is the airport is a public space. Mm-hmm. So if a woman is running through the airport to get to try to catch a flight and ducks into the men's room because there's a line at the women's room. Which Guilty, by the way, guilty. I've totally done Are you serious? <laughs> That's Michelle. Said, this legislation actually affects me too, Jamie, because yeah, I guilty, am guilty. totally guilty of that. That's okay. <laughs> what they said there, well, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit some guilt too. What they said there is, well, we'll just do selective enforcement. And I think as, as a libertarian yourself, I think you would agree that selective enforcement is always bad policy. For example, back in October, we had the residential camping uh, ordinance that came up here in St. George yes, City. Yes, I know that very well. And I'm I'm proud to say I violated that ordinance within like three days of its passage. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> we had we had company for a fall break and there wasn't enough room. So I put a few of the kids out in the RV and I was like, Michelle would be proud. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jamie, so, I support you in that. Do you? Yes, absolutely. See, so, so selective. And for, if you can't write it down, if you can't articulate what is and isn't okay, We've we've got a problem with that with that bill, and so when there's ambiguity, that's going to create some some legislative issues. And and my my belief is that I think if it was this law would not withstand judicial review. So speaking of bad actors, and maybe you don't think this person is a bad actor, but I do. Leah Thomas. We oh. had Riley Gaines on worst um, actor, worst actor the ever. other day. So what's your position on women's sports and? Biological males competing in women's sports. About a, about a dozen years ago, um, I was in these trans forums when the internet came out. That I, I seriously, as a kid, I thought I was the only trans person on earth. I didn't know anyone. And my first exposure to a trans person was in the Philippines on, on my mission. Came home, and after college, the internet came about. And thank you, Al Gore, for that. And 
that was. I think there's a cheek. large population of of transgender in. Philippines. There is, is and, and, yeah. and it's a widely accepted population. They actually have a word, bakla, which means the third gender, and they're, they're accepted widely. Anyway, so I, so I didn't even know. And I was on these forums, and I'd posted that I was from St. George, and someone from a trans woman from San Francisco said, Hey, I'm coming to St. George to run the marathon, and let, let's meet up. So we met up at the expo, went to the spaghetti dinner, and I remember coming into that with fear and trepidation because I wasn't really out at the time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody's going to see me with a trans person, and I am totally going to be outed. They're going to say, why were you hanging out with her? What's the deal? I tell you that to tell you this. She ran the marathon as a man. Maybe not dressed as a man, but she was registered under the male category Mm -hmm. because she didn't transition until later in life. And she had the benefit of that testosterone for years and years, as did I. And I can tell you, I was so much faster than my my running sisters that were in our same group, runners going groups, we're, we're like yes, that, aren't we? We're just totally. like pack animals. Yep. And, and I was like the fastest one. And I'm like, wow, I must be really good. I found out when I started hormones, I wasn't really good, that they were the rock stars because they did that with, without the benefit of testosterone, which is like a steroid. Oh, yeah. It's we 100% straight. deny those biological factors that, you know, you and I'm, I'm a woman's woman as far as, you know, I want women to have just as much opportunity as, as men. But I also recognize as much as I, you know, want to be a man in some aspects because I really do, you know, relate a lot more with some of those personality traits, I also recognize my biology is simply I'm not going to be able to compete physically the same way that a man can. It's just it's it's factual. It's right? not the same. And and just like that happens biologically, there's I, I think there's also something that happens mentally with a trans person biologically. We could probably debate for the next two hours about nature versus nurture. Right. And I remember as a kid being told, well, there's not a gay gene. So clearly it's something you chose. And I'm like, wow, after 40 years of therapy, I wouldn't have chosen that. Right. It's, it's, there's something, and, and we don't know what it is. The word epigenetics gets thrown out, mm-hmm. that it's something that happens perhaps in utero. Mm-hmm. For example, left-handedness is a good example of, of an epigenetic factor. Some children are born left-handed. Right. We don't know why. Back in 1900, it was considered bad. In fact, the word, the word uh, oh, what's the Latin word for left-handed? Nef- not nefarious, uh, Anyway, there's, there's a word mm-hmm. for left-handedness. It was considered a bad thing. From right. 1900 to 1950, there was about 1% left-handed, 1900, up to about 15% of the population being left-handed by the 1970s. Yeah. And it wasn't that more people were being born left-handed. It was that we were recognizing that. Sinister. The word is sinister. sinister. Interesting. The word sinister actually means left-handed. Where do you think we draw the line as a society when it comes to, because now we actually are, I literally thought this was a myth, but it has been confirmed um, in certain circumstances that we do have children now, you know, the furry community, right? Saying mm-hmm. we need litter boxes in the bathrooms and, you know, identifying as an animal. Where do you think we draw the line as a society of of affirming someone's feeling, and even if that's an anorexic, say, who truly believes they're fat and, you know, they're not fat and it's actually harmful if we tell them they're fat, right? Or even the person born who believes their arm, and this has happened, is not theirs and they want the doctor to amputate their arm. How do we draw that line of, are we hindering, you know, children especially, because that's where I get passionate. I don't care what adults do, really. 
What's your opinion on that? It, it's interesting. I heard you say recently that when someone is struggling with any type of mental challenge, that we have pa- compassion for them. We get them help. And I guess I would just respond with a question. What does that help look like? It, it looks like therapy. And if we, if we look at the history of, of conversion therapy, there's a success rate of less than 1%. Yeah. Con- success rate of people. And I have a friend, I have a, I have a friend who is straight up uh, schizophrenic. I had no idea that mental illness like that existed. And it is so scary and so sad and truly, truly believes like that the, that the, uh, someone is spying on her and mm-hmm. it has cameras in her house and watches her every move. And she's so, so scared about that, afraid to get out. She sees a therapist on a regular basis. That would be my answer is, is it needs to be more therapy. So, well, I could talk to you all day. I, know. I mean, please come on well, again because we're about you. out of time. We didn't even get to like <laughs> half of the questions I wanted to talk about just oh, in regards to womanhood and all of those things. So do it again. We'll okay. do it again sometime. Awesome. And, and I'll just uh, and I'll wrap up and head yes, to the bathroom. Close, closing <laughs> remarks. Closing remarks. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. I was going to say I've been drinking. I need to head to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, too, too soon? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, hey, you actually can legally go to the women's oh, bathroom, I can, Jamie. but not everyone can. They probably should. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We'll Thanks see you next time. Thanks for being time. a part of the Michelle Tanner Podcast. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share. And always remember to keep exposing truth. But I won't back down. No, I won't back down. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.